0: Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info.
1: Hey, welcome to uh, Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, glad to have you uh, with us uh, today. Uh, We've outsmarted ourselves on today's show, I want to start by saying. We knew that today was going to be a really important day down at the state capitol. Uh, Today was the day that the Senate was going to vote and is going to vote now on the election bill, which will establish the uh, basis for how they're going to go out and buy election voting machines, Mm -hmm. essentially. Right, Greg Bluestein? You got it. So we thought, well, this will be great. Because on today's show, we were going to have Senator Jen Jordan, the Democrat, uh, from North Atlanta, and Mark Roundtree, the uh, head of Landmark Communications, and also somebody who's worked with Brad Raffensperger, Secretary of State, who has one point of view on the election machinery, and Jen Jordan and Democrats another. All right, all that said, we're going to get to a real conversation about it in a minute. The problem is, Greg— that the Senate is still debating the the machinery, you know, and Jen Jordan is down at the state capitol. And it
2: seemed the stars were aligned because it's the only bill on the calendar, yeah. and, you know, usually yeah. these things take a couple hours, but um, this is a big bill, and it requires a lot of debate, and they're still debating.
1: So uh, Jen is down there. She's already notified us that she's stuck for the time being. We're hoping to get her on the telephone in a few minutes. So uh, in the meantime, we, we will start talking about this bill, but- you know, we care a great deal about having balanced conversations on the show, and we will always do that. But we don't have a Democrat uh, on the on the show to argue with you, uh, Mark groundtree What does that mean? Do we have to just? Um Pepper you with tough questions? It's the Republican comeback. <laughs> <laughs> that is no, Mark. no, that's not. <laughs> that is Mark Roundtree. He is the president. I think I'm right to say you're the founder of Landmark Communications, a consulting and yes. polling firm. You work primarily with Republican candidates, but your polling services you have done for uh, media organizations, and your polling services are typically... Uh, viewed as being uh, very nonpartisan and you get high scores, high marks for the kind of polling you've done.
3: We don't. That's right. We do polling a little differently. We don't do advocacy polling. You don't hire us if you want a certain result. You hire us if you just want to know. And so we've been honored to work for Channel 2 over the years. and Our stuff's been reported. Nationwide.
1: Yep. Okay.
3: And you
2: are an advisor to Brad Raffensperger. Comes
3: campaign, in handy actually, for this today. yes. Yeah.
1: yeah, right. And Jordan Fuchs, who used to be a member of your staff, is now working uh, in the Secretary of State's office. So when we start talking about uh, the uh, uh, bill that's now under consideration, we'll keep in mind where your uh, biases lie on there this, There is no mark. bias. This is actually okay. straight up. <laughs> Greg Blustein, uh who is the most prolific political reporter— at the Atlanta Journal Constitution is with us. It's Wednesday. You're busy again. There's a lot happening downtown.
2: There is. And, and it seems like I've made this joke before, but the 18 campaign never ended because yesterday I was with Governor Kemp in the afternoon and Stacey Abrams at night for her thank you tour. So it just,
1: it's still going. What was it? What was the Kemp event yesterday? Uh,
2: he was signing a bill, he was signing the mid year budget, but just. It brought back memories of 18 seeing both of them together, on the, not together, but both of them on the same day, which has happened five or six times already this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's tell everybody, by the way, before we uh, talk about the first topic of conversation, politically speaking, uh, you've already got your Atlanta United T-shirt with you. You're going to be doing, I think, Lawmakers tonight, <laughs> and, <laughs> and after you do you can hold it up so people there can really see it. Are you
3: sure that's going to fit?
1: After, oh, <laughs> it better fit. Wow. After, after you do you're Lawmakers, optimistic. you're off to Mercedes-Benz Stadium to see the second leg of Atlanta United against uh, Monterey. They're in a hole.
2: They're in a three-goal hole, yeah, right? Yeah.
1: This is Concafa. This is the big uh, tournament of champions that, for the first time, at Atlanta United is in.
2: Yeah. It's been a really tough start to the season and there's, there's some fans who would rather us kind of get ousted from the,
1: yeah, from the tournament f- so we can focus yeah, on, the, focus MLS, on the MLS. I'm rooting for him. All right. Have fun tonight. Um, all right, Greg, let's start with the uh, uh, issue at hand. And that is the Senate right now in a long and I'm sure heated debate. I got a chance to watch some of it earlier about this election bill. The, the, the showcase, uh, piece of this legislation is what kind of machinery will Georgia turn to for voters to use starting in 2020
2: yep you got it and and um, it's about the one hundred fifty million or so budget item to replace a lot of these machines um, the republican backed measure would replace them with basically electronic machines that would spit out ballots that you would then cross check to make sure that those are the people you voted for and then put into a machine to tally it um some of the computer democrats and some of the cybersecurity experts would rather have a hand marked um device that that involves no no computer printing and all that um they they feel like it's safer from hacking and tampering with um and local elections officials by and large support the republican-backed effort why um it it Already used to the system that they're already using, so it wouldn't be uh, a tremendous overhaul for them in terms of training. Um, And they also believe it's safer, and that 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 there's always a way. They say there's always a way you can hack and tamper with voting, but they have seen no evidence of that with Georgia's current touchscreen machines, and see no reason to
1: change it. One of the issues, uh, and then we'll turn to you on this, Mark, that some people who have been opposed to the new uh, ballot marking machines, the computerized machines, that's already passed the House, uh, and so now the Senate has the opportunity to f- send this bill on to the governor. And there's no reason to think they won't wi- uh, uh, won't get their way on this. But uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna spit out a uh, 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 what do you call it a uh, card, you know the th- which, yeah, but if you're gonna pr- uh, s- uh, get one of those. Things that a um, uh, uh, code. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what do you call it? A barcode. That? A barcode. <laughs> Thank you. If you're going to get a barcode, uh, I can't tell what the barcode says.
2: Yeah, um, there are certainly those those questions, and it's also become such a heavily politicized uh, debate too because of last year's election. Yeah, and it does more, by the way. It it, it goes far does far more than just change how the the voting system is tabulated, and you're seeing Democrats in a in a block by and large vote against this and stand against this in the in the in the house among 80, 180 lawmakers there was only about 3 that broke party lines in either party
1: all right i want to stick first with just the machinery itself and then talk about some of the other things that the bill does address so let's stick with the machines for for a minute um, mark it is interesting that cybersecurity experts one of whom was on the commission that Brian Kemp appointed to study how we should uh, uh, vote in the future, and a number of others have said to legislators, hey, you, sh- you should go to hand-marked ballots because any kind of computer voting uh, it-, it risks some sort of interference, some sort of manipulation. Uh, how do you respond to that?
3: You will find people having different opinions all over the place on any issue. But in reality, if we're going to go back to hand-marked paper ballots, we're going to go back to Bush versus Gore in 2000. Uh, there, there is no question that Georgia has had a decent system. You can argue about the details, but for the last 20 or so years, 18 years since uh, Kathy Cox, a Democrat, put electronic machines into the field to do or the voting systems. Um, what I think a lot of people are missing here is that if you look at when those machines were implemented, those electronic machines, the concept of drop-off voting among African Americans ended at that point. Prior to the machines, prior to the electronic machines being introduced in 2002, I think it was, um, there was a significant number of African Americans that would go into the voting booths and they would stop voting about halfway down the ballot. So those of us who do campaigns a lot, and I, I, I assume, Greg, you're familiar with all this, um, drop-off voting was a it wasn't a problem because it was their right not to vote, but it was a problem because there were a lot of people not voting all the way down the ballot. This ended that.
1: Okay, so wait a minute. I, I, Jen Jordan, by the way, is now on the line, and I want to get to you in a second, uh, Senator. I'm glad you could join us, but before we do, I, I really need to f- follow up on what you just said. Yeah. I I have never heard voting drop-off in terms of looking at the ballot, uh, in terms of race. I've heard. You know, there's anecdotal evidence that Republicans tend to stop voting higher up than many Democrats do. I've never heard evidence that African-Americans are involved in that.
3: Today, Democrats drop further down the ballot than Republicans, and that is exactly the point. The weird situation with this fight is that if the Republicans get their way, it actually hurts them electorally. But it's still the right thing to do. We, because what electronic machines do is it speeds up the lines. It's actually cheaper to run. Drop off becomes less of a factor. Um, so it, this is—it's very. I think it's, a, it's a, an entirely disingenuous thing. For it's—it's it's virtually an attack on democracy for the Democrats to be attacking this type of system. And the real goal is to have the Congress take All over right, the election. Let, let
1: me get—let me get Jen Jordan in here. Jen, Jen Jordan, thank you so much for uh, being able to join us by phone. I—I I understand that. You've now voted. The Senate has now approved uh, uh, 316, which does uh, put in place uh, computerized, but gives the state now the right to go ahead and purchase a computer uh, ballot uh, system, right?
0: Yeah. um, Basically, upon a party line vote, um, all the Republicans voting for uh, the bill and all the Democrats voting against. So, you know— it's a little disappointing, um, especially in light of the fact we don't know what the financial implications are going to be, and I think that's one of the most important things here. Um, you know, I think that the there was no fiscal note associated with the bill, which is required under the law and also by Senate rules. And then also the latest news, which is basically that a lot of, I mean, millions of dollars um, every year is going to be offloaded um, to the counties, which are going to end up invariably being passed on. Um, to to local taxpayers. So, it's one of those things where there hasn't been a lot of transparency with respect to this process, and it seems a lot more vendor-driven than voter-driven, um, and that's a problem.
1: You know, Greg, I just looked at uh, GPB News, uh, st- our, our reporter Stephen Fowler just published a story uh, looking at all of the different uh, uh, companies that want to get involved in, in uh, creating uh, mm-hmm. RFPs uh, to, to be able to sell us their machines. And there's not a whole lot of specificity no, in not. the earliest data to, to uh, confirm what Jen is saying. They're giving very vague numbers uh, in this this stage of the process, the stage at which the House and Senate had to vote. Uh, we'll get more details when the, when the actual RFPs come through. But what about the fact that 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 they're so vague? Yeah,
2: um, Fowler got uh, the RF—I guess it's called RFI technically. But yes. But he got the requests from about five or six, a half dozen or so different companies looking. And Georgia set aside a, about $150 million for this. Um, some of those vendors said their they're upfront cost would be tens of millions, but they're uncertain how long— um, how, how much the maintenance cost, let's say, or the leasing requirements, or these other these other issues they have, will cost them long term. And lawmakers said exactly what Senator Jordan just said was there's no fiscal note here. We don't know exactly how much this is going to cost taxpayers down the line. We have Se- Secretary Raffensberger said that you know over 10 years it should be about the same price as a hand marked you know hand filled in bubble ballot system would cost. Um, but some of the numbers seem to conflict with that.
1: Jen, how did this—I've asked this question every single time we've discussed this on the show, and no one can come up with a satisfactory answer, uh, so I don't mean to put you on the spot, but how the heck did this become a partisan issue? It makes no sense to me that we've got a partisan divide on how uh, Georgia voters
0: ought to cast their ballots. Look, it shouldn't be, but I think what it comes down to now is that, because you've got Governor Kemp, who is the outgoing secretary of state, um it really is them trying to say there's you know nothing to see here there's nothing wrong with the system right i mean the whole reason that we're here is because a federal court deemed to be deemed our system to be so unreliable and untrustworthy that either the state of Georgia needed to do something about it, um, or she would. And so that's why we're even here. And then the very people who kind of put us in this position are now saying, wink, wink, nod, nod, trust us. I mean, that's why it's become a partisan thing, because the leaders are the the Republicans who have been responsible kind of for for the problem in the first place. And it's kind of hard when you won't even give us the hard numbers in terms of, you know, how much this is going to cost. You know, voting should not be a partisan issue. I mean, the only reason that we serve is at the pleasure of the people, and at the end of the day, we need to make sure that folks, um, you know, that they have confidence in the system, and right now, I don't think that this bill accomplishes that.
1: Mark, I want to give you a chance to respond to that.
3: Well, I think this is where the Democrats make the claim that it's Republicans being partisan, and I think the Republicans would clearly make the case that the Democrats are being partisan. This is sort of a non-resolvable issue in the political context. Um... I think, in reality, Brad Raffensperger campaigned for a year and a half, very clearly saying that we need electronic voting machines with a paper ballot verification. And the voters chose his position, which is the single biggest position that they campaigned on, over the Democratic position. The Democratic position is basically, let's hand-mark paper ballots, which means longer lines, more expense, more lawsuits as to what constitutes a marking is an X or a filled-in bubble or a, a dot. There's a lot of subjective decisions that have to take place with a paper ballot that is just hand-marked. The machine makes these marks consistent, and it, it makes it more difficult for Democrats to do what they did at the end of the last election cycle, which is just sue, 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 lawsuit, lawsuit, and none of it worked. It all failed.
1: Well... Wait, when you say it all failed, Greg, let me bring you back in here. I mean, there are ongoing lawsuits, uh, and in fact, the ACLU has just filed— But
3: but none will overturn the election. The election stood because the Republicans won the election.
1: Right, right.
2: Yeah, but but you're right. There are about a half dozen or more— um, lawsuits pending, f- ranging from really far-reaching ones that Stacey Abrams Fair Fight uh, Action Group filed shortly after the election to more narrow ones um, seeking differences in provisional ballots, the way those are counted. I- issues like that, and ACLU just just filed one um, targeting uh, uh, against s- some of the state's four biggest counties. Which is the most nonsensical.
1: Gwinnett. Of all of them. Gwinnett I-
3: I've got some
2: numbers to give you
3: on that. That's
1: nonsensical. Gwinnett, Fulton, DeKalb. DeKalb. And, and Cobb, Cobb. The, the, the ACLU suit, contends that uh, those counties, when there are big volumes of voter turnout, they're incapable of handling uh, long, uh, lines. long lines. And that's why in 2018 the there were so many problems. The
3: facts do not bear that out. And I, if I may, I'll, if we want to address yeah, that go issue, ahead, real I can. Quick, yeah. All right, The average. right. We've run these numbers here at Landmark. We manage a sophisticated database that basically tracks voters and how they vote and that sort of thing. Not in general elections, just that they voted. If you take registered voters statewide, 56.6% of voters voted. That's an important number to remember for this. 56.6% of voters voted. In Cobb County, 59% voted. In DeKalb, it was 58%. These are both above the state average. Fulton County was 55%, and Gwinnett was 56% rounded off. These are actually at or above, for the most part, the state average in these four counties. This is a nonsensical Lawsuit and they will lose.
1: Well, Jen, one of the things that the ACLU is interested in is specific precincts that where there were lines that were so long that they may they may have lost vote. In other words, uh it, it's interesting to hear Mark give the overall numbers, but there were specific problems that I think the ACLU believes need to be addressed, right?
0: Yeah, and, and let me go back to something that Mark said earlier. He indicated that there were all these lawsuits and they all failed. No, they didn't. I mean, at the end of the day, the relief that they were seeking, many of them, it wasn't to overturn the election. It was really just to have these, these county boards of elections do what they're supposed to be doing. And the fact that there had to be so many lawsuits filed just to give people um, the opportunity to have their vote counted, it, it, it kind of just underlies what the problems are. I mean, if you actually look at all of the lawsuits that were filed that aren't currently pending, I think... 95 percent, if not all of them, were successful at the end of the day um, because of some of the things that were happening at the local level. All
3: Which right. so- is why we don't need new legislation. There were ha- the micro lawsuits were handled, but the macro lawsuits that were attempting to overturn the election were laughed out of court. Right.
1: Let me do this. Um, the bill has passed the Senate. It is now on its way to the governor's desk for signature. Uh The machine that we're
2: not not yet because it has to go back to the house. That's right, there's got to be a conference committee
1: because the Senate amended it. Thank you You for pointing that out. But we don't see any reason why a Republican controlled Senate and House aren't going to appoint conferees that will approve unless
2: there's some momentous breakdown. I can't imagine that not not being signed by Governor.
1: Well, thanks for reminding me that they had different versions of the bill. Uh, Jen Jordan, uh, we we mentioned uh, right before I think you got on the phone with us that in addition, uh, that in addition to determining how Georgians would vote, this bill also addressed some other issues relating to things that came up in the 2020 cycle. Are Were Democrats happy with some of the language in the bill that addresses uh, some, some of the problems that we saw? It, I assume Democrats don't think it went far enough.
0: No. And, and look, one of the biggest issues that kind of jumped out at me in terms of security um, is there was this, this whole um, part of the bill that allows the Secretary of State's office to become part of a non-governmental entity, um, which what they're really talking about are those systems like CrossCheck, which we've all heard of from Chris Kobach or ERIC. Now, ERIC is, is, is a system that's Nonpartisan, bipartisan, that people tend to have a little bit more um, faith in, but not cross-check. And and what happens is that the secretary of state will send all of the private information of every voter in the state to this centralized database that then kind of parses it out to other states. And the whole idea is to try to figure out if somebody's moved or whatever. Um, But the ultimate result is usually incorrect, um, people getting bumped off the roles, and and also let's talk about the fact that we're sending all of the personal data of our voters to an unregulated, non-governmental entity that the state has absolutely no jurisdiction over. I mean, that's one of those things that kind of got put in there that really didn't have a lot of light shined on it, and and it's a problem.
1: Um, Greg, so we hear that from Jen Jordan. but this bill does attempt to make some changes in terms of exact match. Am I right about that? Yeah. Which it, was a real problem many contended in the 2018 cycle.
2: Um, it also notifies voters before their registration re- registration is canceled about 1.4 million. Which was another voter issue in 2018. Um, limit it seeks to limit more absentee ballot rejections, which was another limit, another issue, and um, would prevent polling. Uh, changes in polling places 60 days before an election. So it takes steps that Democrats um, not only included in Fair Fight Action's lawsuit, but also made it such an issue in last year's election, but also um, what they say does not go far enough.
1: Yeah, but, but you know, it's interesting, Mark. I, I hear the concerns that Democrats have had, but it does strike me that Republicans recognized they'd better do something to correct These problems like exact match, like how long a voter has in terms of being notified that they're no longer on the rolls and given a chance to correct it. These were big issues in 2018, and they were certainly issues that are part of lawsuits that are continuing to move through the courts. So it strikes me that at least from a political point of view, Republicans realized they could not defend some of what happened in 2018.
3: Well, I think they also want to make changes, and they are doing that. This is actually the opposite of the status quo. We're making the biggest change to uh, voting machines and accuracy in uh, two decades so i think they are making changes
1: all right um, jen can you stick with us i know you're on the phone but if we i there's one more issue i'd really love to have you weigh in on uh... but i want to get to a break can you stick with us for a few more minutes
0: yeah absolutely
1: wonderful good let's do this let's take a break and when we come back let's talk about an issue that uh, saw jen jordan in the headlines today this is political rewind now is the perfect time to clean out the garage and get rid of that car you no longer need You'll face the coming months with a fresh start, and by donating your used car to GPB, you'll even get a tax deduction. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or donate securely online at gpb.org cars. And thanks.
3: For years, Chinese companies bought plastic trash thrown out by Americans and recycled it. It was a huge business and profitable. There were brokers going around the globe buying up every scrap of plastic they could find and paying top dollar for it. Now China's banned the imports. So where's all the plastic going? Listen for that story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News.
1: 4 till 7 on GPB and gpbnews.org. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Mark Roundtree of Landmark uh, uh, Communications is here in the studio with us. He represents Republicans as a consultant. Greg Bluestein of the AJC is here. And Jen Jordan, Senator Jen Jordan, who has just gone through what I imagine was an exhausting debate in the Senate that ended up with a positive vote on the new voting machinery, which we just— talked about a few minutes ago. But, Jen, you were uh, in the news today on a very different bill, and let's let Greg uh, talk about it for a second, and then we'll ask you your thoughts. Greg, we we talked about the fetal heartbeat bill for quite a while Mm -hmm. yesterday, and I had a really robust and, I thought, smart conversation about it. For people who didn't happen to hear yesterday's show, I really would urge you to either listen to the podcast or listen to it online, because we heard... A Republican and a Democrat talk about this from a really, really intelligent point of view without a lot of fighting. And it was really the kind of thing that we're proud of on this show. In any case, uh, the fetal heartbeat bill passed the House. It's now in the hands of the Senate. Tomorrow, Renee Unterman uh, is going to chair what I assume will be a public hearing mm-hmm. uh, on on the bill and Jen Jordan is uh, came up in b- terms of this. Talk yeah, about the, that. The senator's <laughs> right in the middle of
2: this one. This bill would normally go to the health committee yeah. um, that Renee Underman actually used to chair. Um, she got a new chairwomanship, chair, uh, whether she liked it or not, to the, um, the 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 science and tech committee that Senator Jordan and four other lawmakers sit on. It's a 3-2 uh, Republican-Democratic split. Um, but as far as I know, Senator Jordan, you're the only attorney on that panel, right?
0: Yeah, I am. I am. So, and and actually, too, with respect to the chairwoman, um, she's not allowed to vote unless there is um, a tie. So.
2: There you go. So what we were picking up word yesterday and actually the day before yesterday was that um, the, the, the lieutenant governor and the Senate Republican leaders have power to appoint ex-officio leaders, anyone. They could appoint anyone to join committees ad hoc like this. Um, sometimes they just do it if they don't have quorum. In this case, it's probably for a different reason, um, to make sure that they have the votes and also to make sure that they have at least, uh, one attorney on the Republican side on that panel, um, to... I, in my view, at least to counter <laughs> Senator Jordan. Um, so uh, we've heard two names, Senator Ligon and Senator Kausert, both conservative Republicans, both attorneys, um, either one, both or either one of them could be appointed or they could not go through that. I haven't heard any update today, but I also didn't hear anyone saying our report was wrong. So. Yeah, and what
1: are you hearing about that today?
0: Um, I'm hearing the same thing. I mean, it's it's interesting because they chose to bypass the Health and Human Services Committee um, in the Senate, which actually has physicians and health care providers on it, um, and send it to science and technology. And so that in and of itself was a an odd decision to make um and now they're really trying to kind of um monkey with the process a little bit by you know just kind of appointing folks that they want to be in there
1: well we don't Um, know for a fact that that's happened yet or you have you been told that in fact there will be uh, at least one more republican i asked the
2: lieutenant governor about this point blank yesterday and he said um he didn't deny it. He just said we're going to be we're going to give this a, the most thorough okay. vet we can.
1: Okay, I just want to make sure. So Jen, they're afraid that your powers as an attorney need to be countered. Apparently, <laughs> well, I don't
0: I don't know if it's that as much as it's. I mean, I think they are acutely aware that this is a facially unconstitutional bill. Um, I mean, that is incredibly problematic in light of the fact that um, we. As lawmakers take an oath, you know, to support the United States Constitution, and um, you know, it, it's one of those things where they are pushing a bill that they know to be unconstitutional, and um, for really political reasons. Well, and so that's 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 a little, you know, that's a little that's a little tough.
1: Okay, let me pick up on on that, Mark. Um, number one. Uh, we have good reason to believe that, in fact, the state of Georgia does want to test the constitutionality of Roe v. Wade. So when Senator Jordan says it's an unconstitutional measure, she, uh, the Republicans are hopeful that this will be a test case that can go to the Supreme Court. And they'd love to see Georgia be the case that decides Roe once and for all.
3: Right. And I I, uh, I do understand the senator and her point that she does— genuinely believe it's unconstitutional, and I think we can absolutely accept that at face value. I think Republicans don't necessarily accept that. Um, they, uh, a lot of these cases have been turned down because it has been sort of an arbitrary date that—or an arbitrary number of weeks that has been set uh, as for, you know, the, the life of a, a fetus, embryo, whatever the term uh, you want to use. And in this particular case, it's different. This is a—it's uh, very much, much more based on science. Now, you can argue whether that science is accurate or not, and, and, and you know there are, there are open debates on that, but there is an attempt here to basically say once there is a heartbeat, that's what makes it different. It's not an arbitrary day on the calendar or a week in the gestation period. It is an, a, uh, an actual date of science, and that is there is a heartbeat or there is not. Others have argued, Bill, that that we should be basing this on brainwaves, and that is also another point.
1: Uh, Let's point out a couple things here. Number one, uh, the committee that will hear this bill tomorrow that we just talked about, science and technology, chaired by Renee Mm -hmm. Unterman, couple of things to point out there, Greg. Number one, Renee Unterman has been one of the fiercest advocates of uh, abortion restrictions in the legislature for as long as she's served in the legislature. And number two, while it's a little unusual that this bill would go to science and technology and not health, it appears that the Senate understands that it doesn't look really good for them, the Republican majority, to send this to a bill—a uh, committee dominated by by men
2: exactly and she's one of the two female republicans in the chamber and there's a lot of hand wringing after that last week's very emotional tense house vote that a lot of the republicans who went up to speak against the bill were were men and they had very you know they had their reasons to do that and Ed Setzler, the bill sponsor talks emotionally about how he was adopted and think you know he was thankful that of course that he, you know he was able to be adopted because his his mother didn't didn't uh, you know? St- still, ha- still gave birth to him, but very emotional, tortuous debate, and um, this in the Senate. I think Republican leaders are, are, are worried about having um, uh, a- another similar debate like that, and they want to. They want maybe Senator Under to be a face of that
1: debate. Um. But- Go ahead,
0: Jen. Yeah. I, I think this isn't really about gender as much as it is about medicine and science. Um, when we talk about the health at HHS, that committee, I mean, Renee Unterman is on that committee. She used to chair it. You know, you have Dr. Kirkpatrick, Senator Kirkpatrick, who's a woman. I mean, there are only two female Republicans. And then the other physicians um, and health care providers are on HHS. They are not on science and technology. I don't think this was really kind of an optics thing in terms of gender as much as it was trying, you know, kind of an in run against around healthcare care providers. Because really, at the end of the day, one of the things that's interesting about this bill is that it really targets physicians. Um, and it's really anti-physician as much as it's anti-woman in terms of providers.
3: But the doctors in the legislature don't agree with what you just said because they voted for this bill. Dr. Ben Watson did, Dr. Newton, Dr. Burke, they all voted for this bill. Uh, Kirkpatrick, I assume did. I've not looked at the voting record, but if it, would, it was all Republican and this Renee Enterman herself is a yeah. nurse. I mean, this bill hasn't come
0: up. Well, yeah, you're, 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 right. you're right. Yeah, on, on the House side, several physicians. on the House
1: side, we had some physicians yes. who did. a but course, I on, the on the Senate side, we it's don't going have to be that. Okay, um, Jen Jordan, what do you what What is your sense as you go into this committee meeting tomorrow on uh, on how this bill is being looked at in the Senate? I it strikes me that this is a very, very tough vote for any number of Republican senators.
0: It absolutely is. And and let's be clear, I mean, one of the, the, the biggest things that we're not talking about, apart from the fact that it is unconstitutional and it really is an assault on, on women's rights and, and, and the autonomy of women um, over their own health care decisions, is, is the impact on rural Georgia. I mean, we have the highest maternal mortality rate in the country. Um, you know, and it's one of these things where if you really want, and, and what do we talk about so much in um, the media about the fact that there aren't OBs in certain counties and that women aren't getting appropriate care? Well, and then you file a bill or try to pass a bill that's actually going to make it harder for providers to practice in this state or make them not want to. Um, it's one of those things where there are some really awful unintended consequences that may make it even worse for women outside of metro atlanta when it comes to having children so
1: so mark every time we've talked about this issue on on the show uh I, i felt it's important to be able to sort of do a disclaimer which is to say there is no question that this is an issue of great passion for people on both sides. I mean, I I don't for a second discount how emotionally uh, important this measure is for both opponents and and, uh, uh, supporters of the measure. There is nevertheless a political calculus involved in all of this as well. You're a political consultant, a Republican political consultant— if you if with if you had the governor as a client, the first term governor of Georgia, Republican governor, uh, the first term lieutenant governor, Republican go- lieutenant governor of the state, is this an issue you would have encouraged them to take on so early in their tenure? It strikes me that this kind of went beyond. Pe- it it kind of took on a life of its own.
3: Well, and you could argue that, but at the same time, uh, I think. People were accusing uh, Governor Kemp along the campaign trail of not really being as conservative as he is. And then others were, you know, you're a lot more conservative than your campaign. I think what he did is he's just proven here that he meant what he said. He was going to bring a bill like this up, didn't know the format of it. And I can't say he brought this up. Obviously, this is Ed Setzler's bill, but I'm sure there's coordination. Yeah, but the governor wanted it had a
1: different idea. But he
3: meant what he said. And nobody can go back in four years and say— he didn't do what he said he did. He did do it. Um, the the political calculation also is among Democrats in more non-metro areas. This is a tough vote that really does tran- transcend Republican and Democrat in a lot of ways. There are Democrats that are having a very hard time voting with the Democrats yeah. on this bill in yeah. the rural areas. African-American communities in rural areas, they are pro-life. Yeah. And you're going to have some
2: legislators have to look their churches in the eye and say, you know— this is why I did it, and those churches are not going to believe. We saw only one Democrat among the 75 in the House um, break party lines. That was Mac Jackson, a pastor oh. from one of those rural but look areas. But at Bob Trammell. Was- I
3: mean, how's that guy going to go back to his district and defend this vote? It's
2: going to be tough. But if you're a Kemp, too, and I guess this is another spin on what, what Mark just said. If you're a Kemp and you made all these conservative promises on guns, religious liberty, illegal immigration, and abortion, and you came out of the session without anything substantive <laughs> on any of those, um, imagine the blowback from— Um, rural Georgia, anywhere, where you made all these promises to get things done, and you're going into an election year in 2020 where anything you do is going to be hyper— I mean, it's already getting a lot of attention, but it'll be even more attention next year uh, ahead of November. Well, I
1: get that argument, Greg, but if you're going to have to choose several of the conservative issues on which you ran your campaign, I'm not sure this is the one I would have gone for first. That's why the trigger (laughs) bill
2: that he first came up with, um, which essentially didn't— You know, do anything. It it was completely predicated on Roe v. Wade being overturned, which may or may not happen. And even if it happened, you still had to go through another vote in order to enact the changes that the Governor Kemp's bill proposed. So, if you that that's why that seemed like a solution to. To do something, but not necessarily go to, go uh, you know, to the to the limits that his conservative supporters. Well, that's what I meant
1: when I said this yeah. sort of has taken on a life of its own.
2: I, uh, I was surprised. Yeah. I mean, I, I was I started hearing rumblings about it um, the night before the vote, and um, and I knew that you know the the big question was going to be whether the speaker would let the vote go forward because um, once Duncan and Lieutenant Governor Duncan and Governor Kemp both. Um, unequivocally supported it, then the ball was in Speaker's court, and I got the sense that he did not want to, but his caucus did.
1: Jen, what's we, it like, what's the pressure like down there on both sides of this? What about the lobbyists that are descending on uh, the Capitol over this?
0: So you, you've got the, the usual folks, but what's kind of interesting in terms of what uh, Mark was saying is that um, really on the on the right, on the far right, um, they don't think it goes far enough. Mm-hmm. Um they don't like the fact that there were exceptions for rape and incest added to the bill and then also in committee um, Sharon Cooper representative chairwoman Cooper added a medical futility clause as well and so for those on the right they don't think they don't think that the exception should be in there for medical futility for rape or for incest and so I'm going to be interested to see if, you know, there is some attempt to amend the bill to try to take those exceptions out um, in terms of on the Republican side. Um, and then the pressure on our side is, you know, look, this is this is just, a, I mean, it's a bad bill, I mean, in terms of constitutionality and in, in terms of women's health.
3: Last point that I would make on this, uh, Mark Roundtree, um, is uh, four years is a long time for a governor I, this issue may very well have been settled and we're on to, way onto other issues in four years so i think what the part of the mm. decision making is here is what what were we talking about here bill four years ago name a state issue name one transportation
1: religious well, liberty. okay okay
3: i'm too, too Greg.
1: religious liberty transmissions everywhere. religious liberty Another hot-button issue. Yeah. And we're still talking about it.
3: But it got very few—it had had not um, real—and I think that was—was it not three years ago, by the way? Well, you may be right. But my point being that there are very few issues that we're going to be talking about four years now. I'm not saying this would not be one. Um, b- because I think it will be. But there are a lot of other issues yeah. that we'll be talking yeah, about during Governor Kemp's reelection. Yeah, effort. that
1: makes sense. Uh, Greg, one last thing, and we're going to take a break. Uh, Stacey Abrams uh, uh, made a statement about this that I thought was really interesting because she suggested that she doesn't understand why the business community— uh, hasn't weighed mm-hmm. in on this measure. After all, when it comes to things like religious liberty, they jump in very quickly to say this looks bad for the state. But she makes a more subtle point than that. She also says, do the does the business community understand that women's issues are something they ought to be paying close attention to and that do not make the state look good if we're acting, as she would say, not in the best interests of women.
2: Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, because after the bill passed last Thursday, I did checks with a lot of the corporate interests, and they were all basically saying privately, yeah, they're staying on the sidelines on this one, Um, which wasn't too big of a shock. But as this has gotten more national attention and is capturing so many headlines, um, Stacey Abrams' point is that this is to, 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 to business prospects looking at Georgia could be just as harmful as, let's say, the religious liberty bill, um, the Democrats see as thinly veiled discrimination.
1: All right, I want to give you the last word on this uh, before we take a break. John, what do you think about the way that Abrams positioned that?
0: Well, I'll tell you this much. It's true, but one thing that they haven't paid attention to in terms of the business interest is that it opens up a whole new area of litigation. Um, I've tried to talk to the business interests because I don't think that they have kind of I don't I don't think anybody's paid attention to the bill to realize that there is now um, going to be um, a civil action for wrongful death um, for anyone who causes a miscarriage basically at six weeks or plus and that can be. a a corporate entity. Um, think about the uh, what can cause a miscarriage, the, the number of things, caffeine, pesticides, all of that type of stuff. Those are all things that businesses do. Um, and in terms of, you know, opening up a Pandora's box when it comes to lawsuits against businesses, um, and that's what we always talk about in terms of making this a good place for business is, is this whole idea of not being able to sue to sue a business, I mean, we're going in the opposite direction with this bill.
1: All right. Well, we're going to watch this very closely when it comes up. Uh, you're late mid, mid-afternoon, I think 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon is when your uh, committee meets on this, uh, Jen Jordan. Uh, let's get a break out of the way and come back with more on Political Rewind.
0: On the next Fresh Air, why are emergency room visits so expensive, $60 for ibuprofen? And why are the costs so unpredictable? We talk with Sarah Cliff, a health policy journalist for Vox, who collected ER bills from around the country and then got the stories behind the bills. Stories of hidden fees, high deductibles, out-of-network doctors, and more. Join us.
1: Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org.
2: My name is Chuck Reese. I'm the editor of an online magazine called The Bitter Southerner i've seen decades of misconceptions about the south from the beverly hillbillies on down in our podcast with gpb we challenge those stereotypes and paint a
1: very different picture of the american south you can subscribe to the bitter southerner podcast for free at gpb.org slash podcasts we're back on Political Rewind. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, which I'm sure by now you all know you can do by going to the GPB news page of Facebook, you'll notice that we have an observer now sitting at the uh, Political <laughs> Rewind desk. Mark, you're, uh, one of your new employees is here to observe the show, introduce her.
3: Meredith Stenson. actually. She uh, joined <laughs> with us two months ago. All
1: right, Thank one you. of the things I'm interested in, Meredith's a graduate of the University of Georgia and, among other things, uh, was part of our One of our favorite panelists, Audrey Haynes, applied politics uh, program out there, which gives me the chance to say, remember that on Monday, April 8th, we are bringing Political Rewind to the UGA campus. We'll be doing our show in front of a live audience, recording it for Tuesday and uh, at seven o'clock. We would love for you all to be out there. Greg Bluestein is going to be with us that night. Yeah, uh, a
2: proud bulldog of love.
1: Galloway will be with us. Audrey Haynes will be with us. Uh, we haven't even figured out who else, but we'll have more people out there. Uh, so go to the Political Rewind uh, page uh, at— uh, politicalrewind.org, you can get more information and you can register for a free ticket to the event. Do it fairly quickly because these tickets tend to go fast. All right. Having said that, welcome, Meredith. Thanks for giving me a chance to promote the uh, live show. All right. Um, Jen Jordan, I want to talk Marta in just a second. But before we do, as long as we have you here, your gun bill, what happened to your gun bill? You had got it through on a unanimous vote in a Republican-controlled committee, Judiciary, is that where it was? Am I right?
0: Yeah, it was. And, I mean,
1: and it never came to the floor. Did, did it get through rules and then not get taken up, or did it did it fail at rules?
0: It failed at rules. It never even got pulled up um, on the rules calendar. So what I mean, happened? It it was a victim of of politics and special interests. I mean, I'll tell you that um, after it passed out of Judiciary. Um, like you said, bipartisan, unanimous, and there's no way that you couldn't have voted in favor of the bill after hearing law enforcement, every district attorney in the state, and then also the victims of domestic abuse. Um, you could not not vote for that bill. Um, it came out, and then immediately the Republican members of the Judiciary Committee were targeted um, online, social media, um, by these kind of far- right, radical gun groups. Um, and you know, they, they flinched. And so it's one of those things where it's a victim of, um, pressure that shouldn't be there. I mean, the way I look at it is, I mean, this, this should have been a no brainer. All it, all it did was really align Georgia law with federal law. Um, and when law enforcement tells you they need it, and then domestic abuse victims say that it would help protect them, um, but it fails because of political pressure. I mean, we, we've got to start kind of looking the, at our priorities. The,
1: the measure would simply take uh, weapons, or you, you, it sounds simple, so, uh, take weapons away from uh, 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 people who have been accused of domestic violence no, or have been convicted. 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 I'm sorry, of course, so, convicted so of domestic violence. Currently,
0: at the federal level, that's the law, and all state law enforcement were asking for was for us to align the state law with the federal law, okay. because they have their hands tied. And so it seemed, you know, like a very reasonable um, measure, but... Um, You know, it didn't make it. All right.
1: I want to—so, first year of a biennial, which means your bill is still there, and I'm assuming you're going to be working as hard as you can to try to get it uh, back uh, next year when you go into the second year of the biennial.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully, you know— I mean, every every year things have changed, and so hopefully maybe next year we can get it through. Okay.
1: Mark Rountree, let's talk for a few minutes about uh, your neck of the woods. Gwinnett County, we're still in the middle of early voting on the MARTA referendum. The actual election day is next Tuesday. Uh, early voting numbers continue to favor a no vote on this thing. Is that your sense of it?
3: It's definitely that way. Um yeah, I, I think it's fair to say that Gwinnett won't be M- Marta Ritaville. How about that? Um, oh, yeah, I know. my God. <laughs> How do you like that? I had to drop Jimmy Buffett in there somewhere. All right. But no, I, I, right now there are uh, 24,500 people who have voted. There will be 33,000 people probably, give or take, that vote early. Um, probably 60,000 total will end up voting. It's not going to be small. This is actually a significant number of voters. This is larger than a Democratic or a Republican primary in Gwinnett. Um, and right now it's I think it's probably failing 58 percent, maybe 60 so percent. That's
2: a pretty big fail number. Um, will voting day numbers tend to favor the yes vote? That is remaining to be seen.
3: Um, people who have already voted, though, are more passionate, and they are the ones that, you know, they're, they're ne- definitely more negative. It could get a little more positive on Election Day, but I'll be I'll be candid. I don't—because I don't, there's no candidate on the ballot, this is really hard to determine who's going to vote. That's the hard part with polling— Uh, that is is really actually difficult to — there's no real precedence for something like this in Gwinnett that's recent where polling was done, so there's — it's hard to determine. But you're probably going to get, we think, about 27,000 people that vote on Election Day.
1: Greg, uh, and there are counties around Metro Atlanta, Mm -hmm. especially, watching this very carefully, there are counties that are ready to move forward with some sort of transit plan if it goes down in Gwinnett. It's going to be a long time before anybody tries it in, say, Fulton, Cobb, Cobb county. or whatever. It I happens. mean, Cobb
2: County is probably the county that's watching <laughs> it the most closely.
1: Yeah. yeah. And
2: if it's a big margin, you know, if we're if we're in landslide territory, certainly. If it's closer, though, remember there's a there's a county commission election coming up, and there could very well be a new um, Gwinnett County chairwoman or man um, in a, in a few years. So this you could see this come back up with a, a whole new de- redesign. But if it's a big margin, it's going to be a lot harder to make that case. And you know, one of the things that –
3: this is this is arguably near the end of the rail generation. We're building a technology. This is just the negative take on it. This is a technology that's been around since the 1800s, and we're about to go into the advent of driverless cars. We could look back on – this would take 15 to 20 years to build this line. Even the proponents say that, and if that's the case, we're going to look back on this with a brand-new line, and everybody's taking driverless cars. Those are in production as we speak. I had a speaking engagement last night, and and was on the no side of this. By the way, just as a disclaimer, and that's that's I think that's a major uh, point uh, that people I'm are lacking. I'm not on.
1: quite sure I understand how driverless cars relieve the congestion that uh, transit would would be aimed at dealing with.
3: Oh, in this particular case, the line would stop at Jimmy Carter Boulevard right. and right at 85 and Jimmy Carter much of the county can't even get to that location. If you're in Snow Mountain, you're not taking the rail line. If you're in De- Grayson, you're not doing it. If you're in Suwannee, you're not doing it. So there are it's going to be difficult.
1: Jen, what's interesting about this is there's been a lot of leadership, Republican leadership in the county that has now signed up saying we need this out here, and yet it looks like the no votes are, are uh, at this point prevailing. Uh, you've got to wonder— uh, what, the decision not to add this to the November ballot, but to wait until March to have this vote, what impact that may have had on how this thing uh, ends up?
0: Yeah, I- I don't think that was a good idea. I mean, what you want is you want to try to maximize the number of voters that you can get out. And during general elections, you have candidates, you have political parties, you have all these entities trying to get various people to the polls one way or the other for for various reasons. Um, But you maximize the number of people that are going to vote on something. And so, um, you know, if this fails, I think that's going to be one of the decisions that people are going to point to as as part of
1: the reason. All right. Um, we're going to watch that vote very closely. And again, you do have a dog in this fight, right? It's personal. I'm not working for anybody. Oh, okay, you're not working for anybody here.
3: No, you, I, they asked my opinion. I Okay, oh, yeah, I, I just want AGC to make sure. Tom
1: Faust wanted to make sure that we were clear. You know, we like to be clear about that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, all right, Greg Bluestein. tomorrow's going to be a big day down at the Capitol. I imagine that committee, that Renee Enterman committee, is going to be packed
2: and there will also be dozens, if not more than 100, of protesters, too. Um, last week yeah. saw the uh, the Handmaiden Tale uh, yeah. protesters. Yeah. They're going to be back oh. tomorrow. I just got a press release that Carolyn Bordeaux, the, the one of the Democratic candidates for 7th District Congress, will be having a press conference in the morning about that bill so uh, expect to see a lot of political activity around yeah. it, too.
1: Well, I come back to that uh, as a way of uh, saying we'll be back with Political Rewind again on Friday at 2 o'clock, and we'll talk about everything that happened. Jen Jordan, with you in that committee, uh, and and we'll see how that turns out. Uh, Senator Jordan, thank you. Mark Roundtree, Greg Bluestein, we really appreciate your being here for Political Rewind today. And Jen Jordan, I'm especially grateful that you were able to jump on the phone and join us from the Capitol after that long debate. Thanks so much.
0: Yeah, and no, thank you so much.
1: Okay, uh, that's it for us. We will be back on Friday at 2 o'clock. Looking forward to seeing all of you then. Greg Bluestein, let's get Atlanta United on track. <laughs> Tonight when they take on Monterey in the second leg of the CONCACAF tournament.
2: They just need what three three nothing win.
1: Three nothing win. All right. We'll see how that goes. We'll be back with you Friday at two.